0: Well, good morning. Good to be with you today, and uh, let me just just make one announcement before we jump in. In fact, before we do that, would all of you here today welcome those who are watching online, or those who are joining us at at our other campuses? Uh, we, we got people in Colorado, uh, Judy in Colorado, Jerry in Texas. Uh, this morning we got friends in Minnesota, Wisconsin, New York, Florida, Texas, Colorado, Egypt. Uh, welcome today to the Battle Creek uh, online family. We're so glad uh, that you are joining us today. And I want to uh, make one announcement before I dive into the uh, content today, and that is two weeks from today. So, everybody say two weeks. On February 6th, I'm gonna begin a brand new series on the seven churches of Revelation. And uh, never done that before, never taught those two chapters before, uh, but we're going to dive into that. And here's the assignment, okay? You got homework uh, assignment. I'm not the only one studying for the next few weeks. You're studying. I want you to read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, okay? All seven churches are found in those two chapters. And so over and over again over the next couple of weeks, I want you to read those two chapters of Scripture with this prayer, In the scripture, it says it over and over to every church. To him who has ears, let him hear. And would you be praying, God, what are you saying to me? And what are you saying to my church? It would be foolish for us to dive into that text without asking that question on the front end. God, what are you saying? So seven churches, two weeks from today, February 6th for seven weeks. And uh, this week and next week, we'll finish up this series that we're on, uh, on the road to recovery. In fact, let me remind you uh, of this this acrostic, we're using this acrostic. I don't always love acrostics. In fact, this is a really, really long one. I need recovery from recovery. It, it, it's so long, but, but let me just remind you of where we've been. R is realize that I am not God. Okay, that's the first step. And it is a step of hope. When you admit that you are not God, you can begin to recover because up until that point, you're doing it all on your own. And, and that's a dangerous place for you to be. Admit you're not God, uh, R. E and earnestly believe. And uh, I, I did this two weeks ago, where I talked to you about, well, what is it that we're going to earnestly believe? Well, we're going to earnestly believe that God exists, right? We need to exi- know that He exists. We need to know that we matter to him. We're going to earnestly believe that we matter to him. And then thirdly, not only is he good enough to help us, he's powerful enough. To help us recover, so we 're going to earnestly uh, believe but but it's not quite enough to, to earnestly believe in fact we talked about AA and AA has belief as, as one of its one of its you know core pillars uh, and it, they don't tell you what to believe in and that's a mistake in my opinion but but there, I know many people who have met the real God through AA, uh, but because their mentor, their coach, et cetera, was a believer in Jesus Christ. But it's not enough just to believe, even if what you're believing in is God, you got to go to the next step, which we talked about is commit every part of our lives to the Lord. And last week, our campus pastors did a great job with the O and the V. And if you weren't here, let me remind you, O was open up. What does that mean? Open up and examine. Confess your faults to who? To God, to yourself, and, and to somebody else, somebody that you trust, and somebody that loves you, and, and and then the V is volunteer for every change that God wants. Volunteer for every change that God wants. Now, I, I use the word uh, submit there. That I want to submit myself to what to everything that God has for me, everything that God wants to do in my life. And, and so today we're going to look at an area that that years ago I asked God in a season of forty days of prayer and fasting. I said, Would you show me the sin of our church years ago, and and this word was the word that he put on my heart. This is the sin of Battle Creek Church, and quite honestly, I don't just believe it's the sin of Battle Creek Church. I believe it's the sin of the New Testament church today, And, and I want to talk about the heavy subject of unforgiveness unforgiveness and for so many people, not not just out there guys, but in here, in the body, in the bride, the, the number one reason that so many people are stuck in a cycle of dependency and addiction is they've been hurt and they can't recover. And they can't recover because they haven't forgiven. And they can't seem to get to the place of forgiveness because the hurt for them feels too big and it feels like it is right in front of their face. So, so what's the next step? It's a little step, but it's big in many regards. So what is the step? What is the next step? The E is to evaluate all of my relationships. Evaluate all of my relationships. So much of recovery is tied up in relationships. And so we're going to walk through two aspects of relationships today. But but understand this, understand this. You, You cannot do this alone. You cannot do it alone. In fact, say this with me. I can't do it alone. We cannot do it alone. And since relationships are the key... We need to evaluate them, right? And when we evaluate them, we're looking at a couple of things. I'm kind of just telecasting where I'm going. We're looking at a couple of things when we evaluate relationships. Number one, what we've done wrong to others. And number two, what's been done wrong to us. But let's dive into this key passage, Ephesians 4. And listen to what Paul tells us in the word of God. Get rid of all. Say all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all, say all, all types of evil behavior. That's a lot, isn't it? I mean, that's a lot. How how many of you have ever identified with one of these things on this list? Raise your hand. And if your hand didn't go up, you, you lied so let's just try it again and give you a chance to be honest and confess that you're a liar. How many of you have identified with one of these things on this list? Just, just raise your hand, okay? And maybe you've been on the receiving end of one of those things, right? But certainly all of us have watched one of these things play out before us, right? And I've come to conclude that sometimes just seeing these things play out can cause us pain. Now look at what Paul goes on to say, verse 32, instead, say instead, instead. be kind to each other. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, here is a universal truth about relationships, any relationship, every relationship. There are times where you need to forgive and there are times where you will need to be forgiven. Universal truth is true of every single relationship because we all have situations where we are hurt by others and we all have situations and moments where we will hurt others. And that is a sad part of life, but it is still part of life. And because it is part of life, we need a strategy to take care of that. And by the way, if you're married, this is an ongoing saga, right? Of being hurt and hurting, being hurt and hurting the person you love. You you can be committed for decade after decade after decade, this will always be true. Why? Because that person is the safest person for you to vent to, for you to dump on, for you to uh, be yourself and and where you're dealing with in, in the presence of that marriage. So it's an undergoing thing and an ongoing thing and underlying this universal truth is this, watch this. Hurt people, hurt people. If you never heard that before, you should write that one down. Hurt people, hurt people. One main cause of addiction in the world today is pain, trauma, and hurt in your past. And so let me just say this about you today. If you have been hurt by someone, you are more likely to hurt someone. You so I'm not sure that's true. Let me say it again so that you know that it is true if you have ever been hurt by someone, you are more likely to hurt others. And sometimes that plays itself out in bad behavior and in poor decisions. So when you evaluate your relationships, the the, the question you need to ask, really, it's a couple of the uh, questions that you need to ask is number one is who has hurt me? And number two, who have I hurt? You, you ought to evaluate your relationships with these two questions, but, but let's just deal with the first one for a few minutes. Who, who have I hurt? Take a look at all of your relationships and, and see, is there someone uh, that you haven't forgiven? that has hurt you, you haven't forgiven them. You may not even realize it. And in this sermon, God is going to bring that to heart and to mind and into your mind and into your spirit. You may be hiding it. You you may have pushed that pain so far down that nobody uh, can see it. And uh, this morning while I was studying this very paragraph, I thought about a video we showed about 10 years ago in a marriage series. And I thought, this is perfect. Ask the team, can you get it? Can you find it? They got it. They found it. I I want you to watch this video.
1: there's this achy, I don't know what it is, and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds
0: really hard.
1: It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh,
0: come on, Ow! if you would just- Don't! there are so many things I want to say. (laughs) And that's funny, right? It's funny because we, we, we can relate to it, but we can make humor out of it, but we could easily go the other way with it, right? Uh, uh, about the pain and the injury that, that, that we have dealt with in our lives. And and we just keep dealing with it. Uh, there's a movie and and this morning I I shared this illustration of Braveheart and then asked the question, how many of you have seen Braveheart? And it was very few people in the room. So the illustration fell on deaf ears. And uh, so I'll just ask the question now, how how many of you have seen the movie Braveheart? Just raise your hand. How many of you have not seen the movie Braveheart? I'm not sure you're saved yet. (laughs) And uh, you, you should watch it. You should read your Bible and you should watch Braveheart. But 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 in Braveheart, there's a character named Campbell who gets shot in, in the chest. And then he just breaks off the arrow in his chest with the arrowhead plunged into his heart and lungs muscles, tendons, etc., and, and he just keeps fighting. But every moment of the fight and every movement that he makes is creating all this anguish because he has an arrowhead broken off in, in his chest. And, and that's a good picture for how some of us try to deal with pain and, and anguish and things that have happened to us is we're just going to break it off and leave it there. But, but yet every move we make is filled with pain because we have left that there. The, the, the next part of this, evaluating your relationships is you got to, forgive them. You don't just evaluate, figure it all out, and then push it back down. Actually, that's very, very cruel, right? To live through that, to walk through that again, and then just push it back down again. At that point, you've got to do the hard work of forgiveness. It's so very, very important. Why? Unforgiveness can block your healing. It can stunt your recovery. It can keep you from getting the help that you truly need to get. Now, why do you need to forgive? Because maybe you think, I don't need to. I could just skip this step. Maybe your thought is, I don't want to rehash that. The memory of that is too much for me to take. So I'd rather just ignore it than forgive it. And if that's you, I just want to just do a little mini-sermon in the middle of the sermon, okay? Three little points, a mini-sermon in the mini of the sermon. Write these down. Why do I need to forgive? Here's number one. Resentment doesn't work work. Forget about spirituality and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all of that for a minute. Let's just be pragmatic. It doesn't work. There are people all over this world for centuries and centuries and centuries who would testify to this. It doesn't work. But the scripture also uh, tells us resentment kills a fool. It will kill you. It is not your friend. It will kill you. He tells us in chapter 18, you're only hurting yourself with anger. You think your anger is working. It is not working. It doesn't work. Holding a grudge doesn't solve anything. Unforgiveness is like drinking the poison and hoping the other person gets sick. There is nothing good that comes from holding back forgiveness. Second, I'm going to forgive. We need to forgive because forgiveness is going to be needed. I'm going to need it in the future. In other words, you're going to hurt someone like somebody hurt you. And so if you need forgiveness, you need to forgive. That's how it works, guys. You cannot have one without the other. You just can't. Listen to what Mark tells us in chapter 11. When you're praying, notice there's not an if there, right? The assumption is is that you're a child of God, you will pray. When you are praying first, say first. First, circle that, underline, star that in your Bible. First, when you're praying, first, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. In other words, unforgiveness can block the forgiveness in your own life. That's a heavy subject. In fact, that concept is found all over the New Testament. It's found over in Matthew chapter 5, where he talks about being at the altar, and at that moment, remembering that someone has something against you, that you are to first get up and go and make that right, then come back to the altar and pray. First John chapter 4, verse 20, talks about uh, loving a God whom you can't see while you're refusing to love someone that you can see. Jesus talks to Peter and says, no, you don't forgive seven times, you forgive 70 times seven times. It's in Mark 6. It's in the Lord's Prayer. You cannot get away from this concept in the Scripture. It must hold some heavy-duty weight. It's everywhere in the Gospels. It's not some ancillary verse that's stuck in the back of the closet behind the clothes you never wear. It, it's, it appears over and over and over again in Scripture. Unforgiveness can clog up your prayer life. Not only is faith required, But forgiveness is a prerequisite for answered prayer. You have to pray in faith, but you also have to pray in a spirit of forgiveness. I don't know if you ever wonder why your prayers feel like they're not going above the ceiling. I do from time to time. But but in those moments where I feel like my prayers won't get above the ceiling, maybe the very first checkpoint that I need to go to is who am I not forgiving? Why? It clogs up your prayers like hair in a drain. I have three very hairy females that live in my house. It's a miracle they have a hair left in their head, but they just keep reproducing them over and over and over again. These hairs, these long curly hairs. And I am the only human being in my whole home that ever does anything about the drains. Not one person has ever, ever volunteered to be a part of the solution of the hairs clogging our sinks and tubs. I'm the only one who does it. I have one of these tools. You know what I'm talking about? Like it has a a syringe punch on the end of it and has a claw that grabs it with this flexible metal thing in in it. And and I have to get under there and take the drain out and go down and get these hairs. And, And I did it like a couple of weeks ago. Not only am I so loving that I'm the only one in my house who will do it, I'm also so loving that I will leave it for them to see. And, and, and so I will lay toilet paper or paper towels out and lay that glob there. I don't have any idea why you have to use a half a bottle of conditioner every time. You're gonna break your neck in the tub. It, it just becomes slippery. It's a hazard, but it clogs up the drain as well. And, and, and I pulled one out the other day. It's like this long and about that big. It looks like a horsetail. And I laid it on the sink for, for, for the girls to see and, and they're like, dad, you're, you're losing hair too. I said, I, I know, but I've never had a hair that long on my whole body. I'm not to blame for this problem. Clean this thing up and you can get in the shower. You can run the sink and brush your teeth while the, the water just continues to rise and, let, and stay there for years if you want to. But how about recognize there's a problem and go after it. The same thing is true in our prayer lives. And I don't want to spend too much on this, but, but one of the things that people ask about this is, hey, if God's already forgiven my sins, past, present, and future, at the point of salvation, why, why are you teaching so often that I need to forgive others? Is, is he holding those things against me? Here is the idea: unforgiveness in your heart blocks God's forgiveness in your heart. It blocks what God wants to do in your heart. Your record may be clear, sure. You are still going to get into heaven, sure. But you are living out hell on earth here because you are holding on to that hurt, and, and and at times it you're not only holding on to it, it feels like it's got a hold on you. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, this is 25, 30 years ago, I I, I was a youth pastor and I used to bring in youth pastors from some of the greatest youth ministries in America to come and meet with me for two or three days. I wanted to learn from them, but I was pretending like I'm hosting this thing so that we could teach, et cetera. But I really was bringing them in so that I could pick their brain and and learn from them. But we'd spend a few days together and and we were fishing not far from here, out Eastern, uh, Broken Arrow on this pond that was stocked with 10 and 12 and, and even bigger bass that were caught all over the world that were dumped in this one pond. My friend owned it. And he was the CEO of Zebco at the time, which, uh, owned all of the, made all these fishing reels, etc. cetera. And, and, and so he had his professional fishermen would catch these fish and bring them and put them in his pond. And so we were fishing this pond, and one of my buddies was from Dallas. He was a big city boy, and, and he was at this big old church in Dallas. He, he never fished. And, and so he's standing on the bank, and, and he takes his rod, and he goes like this, and, and he lets the treble hook and the lure grab a hold of the Bermuda in the grass behind him. So when he goes like this, it's, it's, it's hung up in the grass. And one of the other buddies says, come over, let me hold that. You go over there and try to get it out. You know, Bermuda has the runners, uh, you know, that run all over the grass. And so it's hung in the grass up against the dirt. And, and while he's trying to pull the, uh, the lure out of the grass, it gets hung on something else and it jerks and it shoves it right into his fingernail. All the way up under it's pinned against his fingernail in, in, in his hand and, and uh, it's bleeding. And, and so I don't know what to do about it. I hate blood. Like I hate the sight of blood, especially my own, but, but anybody's blood bothers me. I would never be a doctor, never could do it for one second. And so I called Jim on the phone and I said, Jim, this is what's happening. This is before you could FaceTime and all that. I said, uh, what do you do? And he says, Alex, what you have to do is push it all the way through and then cut it off, cut the barb off and then, and then pull it out. And and my buddy Kyle could see my face and he's like, what did he say? And, And, uh, I said, he said, take you to the ER. I lied. I mean, I just flat out lied. And, 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 and so we, we went to this urgent center over by Cracker Barrel at the time. It was a Prudential urgent center. And, and, and it was Saturday. It was a holiday week. And we kind of got the short end of the stick of the nurses that were willing to work that week. And, and, and because the nurse that was deadening his finger took the syringe and stuck the needle all the way out the other side of his finger and then shot the deadening medicine straight in his eye. And I'm watching this happen going, you can't make this stuff up. Like, I, I, I don't think God wants you to see it. And and, and so she finally gets it right. She cuts the thing off, pushes it through, pulls it out, and we leave. And and, and I I said, I'm so glad I didn't have to do that. He said, what are you talking about? I said, Jim told me to push it through. I wasn't going to do it and and not even going to be a part of it for one second. Well, that's how we think about this forgiveness thing and all these hurts that we have in our lives is that to to push that through is going to be painful. To push that through is going to be awful. To push that through is going to create more pain. It will create more pain, but it is how you solve the problem. You cannot leave it there. And what you think you're holding on to is working a treble hook into you to actually hold on to you, to keep you from the freedom that God wants in your lives. Now, let me give you a, 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 another reason we're going to forgive is number three, I will forgive others because God has forgiven me. Because. Now, That's heavy. And it's hard for most of us as believers to think about this, that, that that's why we would do this, is we've been given God's forgiveness. Now, I don't know if you recognize the fact that you needed God's forgiveness, but you needed it every bit as bad as whoever has hurt you needs your forgiveness. More, actually. You can't even put those two things on a scale. And, and, and so this is a reason that we'll do it. Go back to Ephesians 4. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted. Look at what he says forgiving one another. How? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There's so much theology in that one sentence that it's unbelievable. How would we do this? Well, the same way that God did it. How did God do it? With the blood of Jesus. Theology we could go deep into a well on right here in this one sentence. How do we do it? Let me diagram it for you. You is the implied subject. You, forgiving who? One another, How would we do this? In the same way, just as God, subject, through Christ, has forgiven you. In the same way, these are connected. This is the way we are to forgive one another. In the very same way that Jesus, our God, through Jesus Christ, forgave us. In other words, this is so packed full of the gospel, it's unbelievable. When you forgive, you know what you are? You're an agent of God. You've become a minister of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Without that forgiveness, you're blocking what he wants to do in other people's lives. But when you forgive, you're actually living out what he did for you in your life. It's so very powerful. And it's one of the reasons the enemy fights it to the nth degree is because it is so gospel and it is the gospel living and breathing among us today. But when you forgive, you're doing what he did. In the Old Testament, there's this story. It's an incredible story. It spans chapter after chapter after chapter in Genesis. And like any other uh, forgiveness that has to happen, it begins with betrayal. The narrative is amazing, actually. It's like a novel and a moment of pain. And it set off this huge roller coaster of life and all these changes and the ups and the downs and more betrayal, right? And the guy's name, you know, is Joseph. In fact, we did a series for months and months on the life of Joseph years ago. In fact, out of that series, we wrote a whole curriculum. I wrote a curriculum, a book called Overcome, studying the life of Joseph. And he's the son of Jacob, in case you don't know who he is. He's the grandson of Abraham, who we studied all fall, right, in in our all-in series. And he found himself, Joseph found himself in slavery in Egypt. Joseph was a dreamer. He knew that God had chosen him uh, not only to help the people of Egypt, but to keep his own family alive. The very same people who betrayed him, he is the reason they would get to live one day. And he's on this roller coaster, and it all started when his own brothers did him wrong. By the way, there's no question who's to blame in this story. It's incredibly clear who's to blame. The brothers are to blame. They sinned against Joseph. But Joseph's biggest hurdle in this whole story was to overcome resentment. So when you look at Joseph, he's sold into slavery in a foreign land. He's so far from home for around 20 years of his life. He's probably certain and sure he would never see or face his family again. But then one day in the narrative, guess who walks through the door? G- Genesis, I think 40 through 50 uh, roughly is the, is the chapters. 42 uh, verse 1, look at it. When Jacob, Joseph's father, heard that grain was available in Egypt he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise we will die. In other words, the famine has struck the land to the point that you have to go to the only place where there is grain, which happens to be Egypt, where Joseph happens to be in charge. Why do I point that out to you? Joseph was not setting these events into motion. God was setting these events into motion. Joseph had ignored it for a long time, had kept busy for a long time, but now it was happening and he was going to have to face those who did him wrong. Look look, look at verse six. Since Joseph was governor over all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all of the people, it was to him, underline that in your Bible, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. Now, this is alluding to something that happened earlier in the story. Joseph, as a young boy, had a dream. And his dream was that he had a bundle of grain. And this bundle of grain, his, stood up. And all of his brother's bundles of grain, in fact, his parents' bundles of grain, bowed down to his bundle of grain. He told his brothers the dream. That's a mistake. It's one thing to have a dream like that. It's another thing to share it right? Hey guys, you're all bowing down to me one day. It's kind of a dumb move kind of a dumb move because it made his brothers jealous and they hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. And they threw him into a pit and then they pull him out and sell him to slave traders. And by the way, let me just say this to you. This is real trauma that Joseph went through. It's not pretend trauma. There is some in our culture today that I would call pretend trauma. In fact, let me just recommend a book to you, The Coddling of the American Mind. You should read that book. I read it last year and it goes through the whole psychology of the history of the word trauma, where we wouldn't even use the word trauma for things that we use the word trauma for today. It was reserved for Vietnam veterans, et cetera. It's a really good study on the whole subject of trauma. But let me just say this to you today. Some of you have been through some very real trauma in your life. Real, heavy, hurtful trauma. And here's the good news out of this story. That doesn't have to be the end of you it doesn't have to be the dead end for you. God can transform your pain. Years later, years later, Joseph is in a position in Egypt that his brothers have to come and see him. This famine is all over Egypt and all over the world. And they, Egypt's the only place they can go to get food. So here come the brothers. And what do they do to Joseph? They bow down before him. They bow down just exactly like God told him that would happen. And so now he sees his brothers and the question is, really for Joseph, what's he gonna do in this moment? He's got the upper hand. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He could have thrown them in prison. He could have exercised his revenge. He could have told them where to go, right? He could have said, no grain for you. In the same way, you know, like the soup Nazi. My my 17-year-old son walked to 18 year old son, walked in the other day and and about three weeks ago. And he said, I have found this show on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or you've ever seen it. I said, what's it called? He said, Seinfeld. He said, it is so funny. Dad, you have to watch this show with me. I'm like, okay, son, I love you. I'll I'll watch it with you. And I'm thinking, this is the best moment in a long time. No soup for you, right? He could have said no grain for you, but instead, what what, what does he do? What does he do? Jump all the way to chapter 45. I am Joseph, your brother. And just in case you forgot me, the one you sold into slavery. Now, Joseph is going to do three things that are very important. Let me give you another mini sermon in the middle of this sermon with like 48 points. Okay, so let me me just give you three in the middle again, all right? Joseph is doing these three things that that, that you and I must choose to do. We have to go through this process with our pain and our trauma. And if we don't, we will not receive the healing from our hurts that, that is ours in Christ Jesus. The first thing that he does that we need to do is reveal your hurt. Joseph revealed his pain. He told them, I'm Joseph, your brother. Remember me, the one you hurt. You sold me into slavery in Egypt, that Joseph. Now, now listen, here, here are three options you can do with your pain. You can repress it, you can suppress it, or you can confess it. And there's only one that's a good option. Joseph could have repressed it and pretend it didn't happen. Sometimes we think that will work, don't we? We think we just ignore the pain, the arrow broken off in our chest long enough that it will go away. But but the truth is, it's like painting over a crack in the wall, right? Eventually, it'll look good for a minute, but eventually that crack is coming back. It may look good, but it's still there. He could suppress it, right? Repress it or suppress it by, by pushing it down and pushing it down. By the way, when you're pushing your pain down, Don't miss the analogy. You still got a hold of it. You still have a hold of it in the process of pushing it down. And we already said that holding a grudge is like drinking the poison and hoping the other person gets sicker than you. So instead of repressing it and suppressing it, we need to do the God thing and confess it. We gotta admit the pain. Trauma is like an earthquake. When it happens, it's sudden and it's big and and, and it's a massive experience. But, But here's the thing about earthquakes, they last for a while, right? There are aftershocks that come later. And when you and I experience the aftershocks of trauma in our life, What does it do? It takes us right back to that place. We haven't dealt with it. We think that will work. But what we do in that moment is we live in the cycle of that pain. So so you can suppress it or repress it, ignore it, hope it goes away, or you can acknowledge it and reveal the hurt. And we think that's like, oh, it's going to be painful pushing that thing on all the way through my fingernail. But it, it will be painful, but it begins the process of healing. And God begins to work in that moment. You know what the scripture teaches, Psalm 34? God is close to the brokenhearted. In that moment of you revealing the pain and revealing the hurt, do you know that that is a moment where God comes closer? He comes closer to you. Now, let's keep going. What's the second thing? Reveal your hurt. Second thing that he does that we need to do is release the offender. Joseph had to forgive them. They didn't beg for his forgiveness in this story, by the way. Joseph was the one who had to take the initiative. Look look at verse 45, uh, I mean, chapter 45, verse 5. Don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves. For selling me to this place, it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Let me tell you what Joseph was not saying. He was not saying this trauma was God's plan. It's not. It's not God's plan for you to walk through this trauma. But in the middle of your trauma, God has a plan for you. He would not allow it if there weren't a plan and he didn't have a prescription for health and happiness in your life through it and in spite of it and in the midst of it. Look look, look at verse 6. This pandemic, not pandemic, (laughs) this famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. God, please know. (laughs) And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve many survivors. Now watch what's happening. Joseph is able to reframe his present situation in light of his hurt. How? By understanding God's greater plan. What he did not do is pretend it did not happen. What he did not do is say it's no big deal. It was a big deal. But he found God's peace in the middle of it. How? Revealing it and then releasing them. And then thirdly, by replacing your hurt with the peace of God. Replacing your hurt with the peace of God. When you replace the pain in your heart with the peace of God, that's when you know you've forgiven people. That's when you know you have forgiven them. Once you have forgiven them, you, move, you get to move into the next phase of your life, right? Remember at the beginning, we said there's kind of two things, who has hurt me and who have I hurt? That's the next phase is who have I hurt? Now you start asking, who, who do I need to ask forgiveness uh, from in, in my life? And by the way, that's one of the areas where CR, uh, Celebrate Recovery groups go deep and they dive into this deeply. In fact, I asked the question this morning because I wasn't even sure. In the Celebrate Recovery groups, every single what night? Tuesday night? Every single Tuesday night at 6 p.m. here at the Broken Arrow campus, dinner at 6, and, and then the class and the group start at 7. You can on-ramp every single time. You don't have to wait to the beginning of a semester to get in this. Every single week, you can on-ramp and get into this uh, uh, ministry and into one of these groups. But, so I'm not going to cover a lot of this because they go deep in the groups in, in this, but it starts with making a list of who have I hurt and how have I hurt them and you, maybe you broke a promise. Maybe you broke a vow. Maybe you uh, stole something. Maybe you didn't pay something back. May, may, and you begin with the most immediate circle of friends and family and begin to work your way out. But, but you need to ask this question along the way. How would I want somebody else to make it right with me? In other words, start with the golden rule in mind. And after you've made amends, now you can focus on the positive. And by the way, the point of evaluating all these relationships, it's not really about clearing the slate. It's really about restoring relationships. And can I just say to you, some of them never will. But in God's heart and in God's mind, that's the goal, right? And it's going to involve a whole lot more than just confession. It involves action, it means that we have to do some real heart work and guard our hearts in the process, which, by the way, is the next R in this journey. It's resolved to guard your heart. Resolve to guard your heart. Listen to what Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else, for that will determine the course of your life. Guarding your heart does not mean that you hide it. Of course, we can hide problems, we can hide our pain, but that doesn't fix it. To guard your heart means you need to do some hard work. Look, this is extremely difficult. There is a lot going on, a lot of pain and regret and hurt. Listen, it'll get stirred up for a minute. That's why, the, by the way, this is important to do in the atmosphere of God's presence and sometimes with professionals, but, but, but under the grace of God always. Why? He's the one that wants to set you free from your bondage and your brokenness. Now, a few months ago, I had the privilege to have lunch with, with, with a young man named Jeff Osborne who grew up in our church. And, and at that lunch, I had the privilege to sit at a table with him, hear him, and then have him address the whole room and, and tell some of what he's been going through the last uh, few years. And I want him just to come and share with you, church. Jeff, come on, if you would, put your hands together and welcome uh, Jeff Osborne. you a chair thank you for sharing thank Thank you for coming uh jeff just introduce the church if you would to to your problem there was a point in your life where you had real addiction and it had a hold of you and so just just set the story up and tell them a little bit of your story
1: yeah so one of the things just in thinking about this is like I, i have almost always had an issue with addiction um the symptom changed, but the sickness was the same. And so, I mean, at times it was food. At times it was pornography. Um, and over uh, about the last five to five-ish years, um, it turned to alcohol. Um, and um, all I was trying to do was cover my hurt, my shame, my guilt, and um, And when those other addictions stopped working, when those other things stopped working, I turned to alcohol. Um, And it was a little bit at first. It was every once in a while. I could take it or leave it. Um, Grew into every time I felt like I had a really hard day. Um, And then grew into something that was daily for me. Um, I would feel hurt. I would feel anxious. Um, I would feel shame. And... Um, drink until that feeling went away. And when that feeling came back, I would start the cycle all over again. Um, and it was years of that cycle um, on a daily basis. Think
0: about this for, from this story. F at 15 or 14 or whatever age that was, and you're in a junior high ministry here and you're, you're struggling with pornography and you felt like you could never be honest or ever be real with anybody. Think through this for a moment in this story. Yes, it would have been pushing a fishhook through. But think of the anguish in your own heart, your own life, your family, Tabby's heart and life, your friend's lives, that you could have saved uh, yourself by going ahead and pushing that that through. There was a point where you had a breakdown, right? Mm -hmm. And you you realize this this is not going to work. And... Tabby called you on the phone. In the, the, the earlier service, I, was, I got it mixed up with somebody else who had a drinking problem in our church that shared it with me, and, and, and it wasn't his story. I still think I'm partly right on that, but, but uh, he said, no, that wasn't me. That was somebody else.
1: I was drinking. I don't
0: remember. Yeah, you that. were drinking. Yeah. But tell us the story of, of the, where, where it hit the fan and, and began uh, to deal with it.
1: So this had been a year-long cycle for me, um, and... It was a really dark and lonely place. I sat in this room in the middle of addiction, um, lonely, um, hurting, and broken. For years and For years, years covered in shame. Um, one of the things that I've said in this process is um, that shame happens in the dark. It is, it is there where Satan can tell me the lies uh, that... He wants me to believe about myself. But freedom happens in the light. And I sat in this room for years with secrets um, that I wasn't willing to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I thought at that point that I would die before I would be free. Um, and sometimes I would rather <coughs> die.
0: Say, say that again. Yeah. Say that again.
1: That I would, I thought that I would die before when, I would be
0: free. When, when he says this, I'm going to have him say it one more time. Yes, sir. When he says it, I want you to think, has the enemy ever told you that lie? So say it again.
1: I thought that I would be dead before I would be free. Um, and a, a big part of that for me, I, I, would rather, I would have rather died at that point than mm. tell people the truth. Um, and um, through all of that, on back-to-back days my wife, Tabitha, which I have before I get into this, I just have to say, allegedly, I said at the nine o'clock she was sitting at home. Um, I want to be clear. She was getting our kids ready. She was feeding them and uh, she was just in general being a great mom. Yeah, she was Uh, kicked
0: back, eating bonbons while those babies were getting ready to go. Yeah, yeah. absolutely not.
1: Um, But on back-to-back days, um, she found a empty liquor bottle that I had hid, um, not very well. And, um, and the next day had found a credit card statement uh, that she did not know we had um, or did not know I had. And so... Um, that you were using to, she, to buy. buy. alcohol only. Um, and so she FaceTimed me while I was at work. Um, good for you. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. Um, and just said, what's this? And even at that point, um, I was trying to lie. Uh, You know, that liquor bottle was old. um, It's not mine. Well, it was mine. But, you know, that was old. That wasn't from any time recently. And even with the credit card statement, I used that that on food and to get the oil changed, whatever um, lie I came up with. I almost didn't say lie. Uh, Whatever lie I could come up with. And um, honestly, at that point, she just said, I'm done. I cannot do this anymore. Um, And rightfully so. She had gone through a years long cycle of me lying, me sneaking around. Um, And at that point, uh, I tried to lie. I hung up the phone. um, And I sat there in my truck um, at work and just thought, what next? Hmm. And I sat there for about 30 minutes and decided uh, that I was going to call her back and tell her the truth. Um, And so I called her back and said, Tabby, it's been alcohol. It's all alcohol. It's always been alcohol. Like, I cannot control it. I cannot stop it. Um, And at that point, uh, I was ready to do whatever it took to get free.
0: Talk for a minute about had she not done that? Where do you think this would have gone or where do you think this would have played out? Because sometimes in Christianity, we, 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 we teach, and I've taught it already today multiple times, we're going to forgive in the same way that God has forgiven us. Sometimes we misinterpret that to mean that it's not a big deal or we're going to overlook it or we're just going to push it down and push it away. But the truth is what's so powerful, right? Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what Tabby shared was her truth in that moment. I'm done. I cannot do this any longer. They're still married, still happily married, but they're not doing that anymore. She was telling the truth. I'm not doing that anymore. Talk about that for a second.
1: Um, It was hard. And for me, it was a point in my life where um, I had tried to keep my drinking a secret. Um, keep the how much it was a secret. And I was trying to control everything that I could control, trying to hold on to the things. Um, in fact, Matthew seventeen thirty three comes to mind. Like, if you try to hold on to your life, you will lose it. And if you give up your life, you'll gain it. Um, and I was literally sitting there trying to hold on to everything in my life. And at that moment, when she told me she was done, I realized it's not working anymore. Um, I, I'm not going to be able to keep everything together and keep what, uh, keep in control what I want to have in control. And so at that point I just gave up control and thought if she's going to be done, she might as well know the truth. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: then your family got involved, mm-hmm. right? More extended family and friends got involved and you ended up go to the next chapter,
1: okay. uh, ended up, uh, Deciding to go to treatment for three weeks um, and ended up in a great program called Hope is Alive. Shout out to my boys. It's all, all these hoodlums over here. Uh, but it's a sober living program. And so I've been there for about a year. I've got about another six months left. Um, but gave me the opportunity to get onto the path.
0: Of so let me butter. clarify for just a second, okay? Because it's two components that, that happened that were used side by side. One was a detox, was a, was a multiple week detox. It was, there was medical involved in this and sometimes that's needed. Uh, it can be very dangerous, actually. It can be very hard to come out of that where you're detoxing your body and detoxing your system. And, and that's what I'm talking about, doing this in the presence of God and doing this with sometimes professionals that are helping. But that's not enough. You, you follow? That, de- that dealt with the symptoms of helping you get off of the alcohol. It did not do, deal with what caused you to get on alcohol, right? And, and so what Hope is Alive has been doing, and I, I met Lance in the last year or two, and the guy that started this, he has his own story. Remember I told you it's, it, it's God uses your story? God's using Lance's story to start Hope is Alive. He's a recovering addict. And and God uses your story. The people that are leading Celebrate Recovery, God's using your story. The people that lead Dave Ramsey Financial Peace, God's using your story. There's something God can do when you share your story, right? And and you allow him to have the glory in it and through it. But then you ended up in Hope is Alive. And you've been there. We'll be there another six months of residential program. And and, and so talk about forgiveness in in this journey that you've been walking in. Where does that play out?
1: Uh, forgiveness is hard. Um, for myself, um, it's difficult uh, sometimes to forgive myself for the things that I've done. Um, honestly, like, the, the shame that the enemy wants to put on me uh, is to keep me down. This is actually really therapeutic to talk to you guys about it. Believe it or not, is it is chain-breaking for me this morning, what's happening. Um, but... Uh, Thank you. Um, But forgiving others is extremely important. So resentments, and that word is a recovery word that we use. Resentments uh, is one of the biggest things that leads to relapses, that leads us to drinking or using in the first place. Um, And uh, there, when we lay out some of our resentments, the ones that, I had, some of them were so tiny, some of them were so small, but they had led to such huge lies that the enemy had told me, um, and huge lies that I believed about myself. And simply letting those go and forgiving those made a huge difference for me. And then on the forgiveness part, uh, receiving forgiveness, um, my wife can probably give you more uh, about the details of what that looks like to forgive someone in recovery. But I can tell you that it does not happen without the blood of Jesus. Mm. And without her seeking the Lord on herself, by by herself, on her own, she would not be able to forgive. And forgiveness is a process. Um, and we're still in that process. We're still learning. We're still growing um, in that way.
0: So... Mm. so. If you would, talk about, for just a minute, guarding your heart, okay? How, how are you doing that at this moment, in this process? Just flesh that out.
1: Uh, the simple answer, humility. One is don't don't think that I've got it. Like, at no point can I think that I've got it, and I'm good. That's what got me to the point that I was at a little over a year ago. Um but the other aspect of that, one of the things we say, at hope is alive, is connection with God and connection with others, mm. um, and in that um, honesty, and not only honesty, but rigorous honesty, is. Um, I
0: love that phrase, rigorous honesty, because it, it, regular old honesty in this culture is not really honesty, right? It's partial truth, but but but. Jesus saying you will know the truth and the truth will set you free is total truth, right? It's, it, it, you have to be rigorously honest to, to tell the truth and, and to do that. Talk about finding people that you could do that. Yeah,
1: I was the king of partial truths. Um, giving you a snippet to make myself feel like I was telling you the truth. Um, but having people around you um, that you can be 100% honest with, 100% real. That is what I've got in these gentlemen down here. Um, but is is having people that you can just tell, I'd call it the real truth. Like, this is actually what I'm thinking. Not this is what I want to tell you that I'm kind of thinking. Like, it is, this is how I actually am feeling right now. Um, and then on the flip side, allowing people into your life that can call out things in you uh, when they see it, is allowing allowing people close enough and being truthful enough with others that when they see things in you, that they can call it out. Um, and that's one of the things with Hope is Alive that I get. That's one of the things that you have the opportunity for in something like Celebrate Recovery um, also. Mm. Thank you
0: for sharing. <clears throat>